डियर लिस्नर्स साईराम वेलकम टू अवर रेडियो सीरीज आफ्टरनून सत्संग दिस इज अ डिस्कशन बिटवीन रेडियो साईज प्रेम एंड अरविंद ऑन डिफरेंट स्पिरिचुअल टॉपिक्स एवरी थर्सडे ऑन एशिया स्ट्रीम ऑफ रेडियो साई ग्लोबल हार्मनी यू कैन एन्जॉय दिस लाइव कॉन्वर्सेशन इट्स फ्रॉम ट्वेल्व थर्टी पी एम टू टू पी एम इंडियन स्टैंडर्ड टाइम a very warm and loving sairam to all our listeners all around the globe and it is with great joy enthusiasm and energy that myself arvind from team radio sai and along with me brother prem from team radio sai we are sitting here in the beautiful studios of radio sai ready for another segment of afternoon satsang i would like to offer our most humble pranams at the lotus feet of bhagwan who is here sitting and listening to every word as we speak inspiring thoughts inspiring feelings and making us speak words and we would like to thank all our listeners who have tuned in with us and we hope this will be an enjoyable presentation sairam prem sairam arvind and uh, indeed <laughs> difficult topic we've chosen today and we definitely need swami's blessings to get through this one ceiling on desires is something that is a sort of a cliche in the sai world you know almost everyone has heard it in some context or the other but an actual study into the ceiling on desires shows us that it is something so much deep so much more profound and more than anything else it is actually the way nature is designed the way humans the way the whole creation has been designed so it is not something that needs effort to be put in it is something that is very natural to all of us and that beauty we realize as we go through swami's teachings and messages right but you know the moment you say about what swami says about ceiling on desires when you see desires and curtailing desires and giving up desires we almost talking of something which is for a spiritual aspirant that's the idea which we get which we hope to prove it is not true but that's what we generally think that you know any idea of cutting down on desires rather than satisfying them is for that category of people who are looking at spiritual gains and not for those general category of people who want to just enjoy their life and that is compounded by the fact that if we see modern day propaganda that is going on in the media or anywhere else it is as if consumption and more consumption is the way to go an economy is in stress it is in distress and the way to get the economy out of that stress and distress is by ensuring greater consumption inviting more funds more investment to manufacture more to consume more consume more and consume more all this makes this concept of curtailing desires or putting a ceiling on desires as something that is off the ordinary and something that is very painful that means giving up a lot of enjoyment and fun that seems to be the driving force of everything like you know when you're studying mm. you are encouraged to have desires and yes. you are given education as a means to fulfill those desires exactly you're encouraged to have desire for a luxurious house and a car and everything and you're told that this education which you are receiving now is a means to achieve that and you know the wiring itself is wrong to start with i mean if we accept that having too many desires is the wrong way to go but that's what is happening you know whatever you take up you become a sportsman you're taught how best to uh, earn from that field you're taught to take up a degree you're taught what to learn from that you know that is a very pertinent point and it depends on how we define as what is best 
for example i think it was the dalai lama when he was speaking i'm not quoting him but i think this was the message that he was saying that you might have had so much of technical technological advances much greater comforts things that were never previously imagined but are people happier than what they were say 50 years ago recently i was watching some of the advertisements that were broadcast in the 1980s when i was a child and i used to watch you know tv in those days was restricted to something like only about 12 to 14 hours a day the rest of the time they would be color bars and a high pitched tune queen let go so sure that you don't switch on the tv during that time technically actually why it was put is to assure you that your the tv, TV is, is not fine. gone wrong the picture tube is working the sound tube is also yeah, working is you know so that was the reason but it was like that and when i was seeing those ads you know i became very nostalgic the first thought that came to me spontaneously you know i made no effort and it was nothing like a spiritual thought or something but the first thought that came is oh my god how complicated my life has become you know how simple life was those days how carefree and how happy it was and this is just about 20 years ago that i was thinking of and this is what the dalai lama was hinting also at how much more has happiness grown you know our desires have grown so much the means to fulfill the desires have grown so much and what we have achieved is tremendous if we can see now with a single cell phone the things that we can do a cell phone has come to replace more than 100 other objects that we would use a calculator a tv a music system a storage device everything a mailing device a letter cell phone has become everything but has contentment satisfaction peace happiness grown because ultimately that is what every man wants right every person wants to be peaceful happy and joyful has that increased that in itself should give us a strong hint in showing that there is no correlation as such with increasing consumption and increasing happiness but that seems to be quite contrary to the idea because you know, i remember mm-hmm. if you look at indian economy and the way we have progressed as a industrial nation if you look at it i think we can as you said when you see those advertisements you could see that the products were not as glamorous as they are now mm-hmm. you know a shampoo used to be much more simplistic in its appearance and in its uh, availability and cheap also right but now when you look at it if you look at the time when we were in school an object a soap you know you used to have two or three brands and <laughs> used to have one or two brands of uh, toothpaste and there was not any competition in the packaging if you look at it correct and that was one of the reasons why if somebody were you know coming from abroad and if they bring objects from abroad we would be overawed by the packaging hmm. you know the amount of stuff which is not the object as such <laughs> you know if you have biscuits <laughs> yeah. the covering the biscuit comes in you know the plastic covering and the box in which it is put the design which it has in fact Correct. you know there is a very marked event which happened during the 1990s early 1990s hmm. you know that's when the indian economy actually opened up to globalization or at least started doing that hmm. you know that time one of the things which were lacking in the europe and in the western countries hmm. was numbers you know they could produce but there was only a limit on how much they can consume because of the population hmm. you know the population was less but in the asian countries the population was large so you had a huge market but why wasn't growth happening hmm. you know you didn't have gdp growth as much as in western countries so they got some western economists to see what should be done in india to make its gdp grow you know what was the suggestion which was given mm-hmm. you know the suggestion given to the government was your people are not spending enough oh. so the suggestion was to make more malls more attractive packaging more brands come in and you entice people to buy more and it seemed to work it worked for what they wanted you know it did increase the gdp growth but as you said you know 
too attached happiness just to the growth in gdp may not have been the complete picture there exactly because if that had been the case america should have been the happiest nation on earth today but it is not and they are reeling under so many of their own problems which shows that you know material progress though is good now india is also facing it you know we had tremendous growth in the last 10 years maybe or 11 12 years and suddenly now india doesn't seem to be shining so much there are so many problems that are cropping up and this in spite of the fact that the sensex which is supposed to be an index to measure how the companies are doing is at its all time high i remember when we were in school the sensex would be around 8000 9000 and it was news when it crossed the 10000 mark today it's at 21000 and still the same problems of poverty of corruption of all the things that bothered seems to have got compounded even today which means definitely there is something that we are missing when we say that greater production and greater consumption is the way to greater happiness and peace and that is where today's discussion becomes very relevant and actually swami makes it so simple but before we delve deep into that i think we should start off with that fascinating thing that we read about fascinating <laughs> nonetheless but scary and disturbing you know to put it the other way hmm. i think it happened with a person called charles moore he was taking part in a trans pacific sailing race hmm. and there is that some kind of a pocket in the pacific where usually sailors don't go to it's something like an oceanic uh, whirlpool it's called an oceanic desert actually in that part of the ocean you don't see much life right. it's almost in there. the center the reason why sailors would never go there is there are currents drawing you towards the center of that point oh okay so that's why they would take a long detour and across that part and go oh like a gigantic right. whirlpool yeah so this person when he was returning from the race he just wanted to go through that point mm. he wanted to have a look how it looks in that area so that's when when he was sailing past that area he came across this part which you rightly mentioned as exactly as he was going through that area he was shocked to see some kind of slight shimmer in the water like thing on the surface it seemed like nothing but on closer investigation he saw it was plastic plastic pieces floating in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the ocean where there are no island nothing and these plastic pieces were not just a few stray pieces a huge area you know later on it was found out to be on an average a size of about 800 to 900 1000 square kilometers which means if you draw a square this patch of floating plastic was something like 800 kilometers wide and 1000 kilometers long a huge area that huge area of plastic floating in the ocean and occupying up to 5 to 6 meters of the top waters maybe even more deep it was and you know the interesting thing is he says in an interview hmm He wants to see what are those plastic objects. Okay. Because the first time when he sees this plastic and he has no idea about the size of this whole plastic island, he thinks that most of it would have come from sailors throwing uh, plastic objects off board. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. huh. You know, because when you consume at right, sea, right? You try to uh, travel as light as possible. You know, you, hmm. you don't want your uh, ship to be bogged down. So he thought it was that, but when he saw there were many objects which sailors will never carry with them. Okay. So that's when he realized that this plastic was just not off ships and boats. but it was also from the shore from the land dear listeners today it has been thoroughly studied and you can even google up you know this patch that we are talking about is called the great pacific garbage patch and five such patches have already been discovered in the world and the biggest one some of the estimates say that this is about 15 million square kilometers in size or twice the size of the United States of America which means this patch is almost the second largest mass after Russia on the planet earth this plastic they say 
has come from land where humans reside and it has formed this patch because as prem said you know there are these oceanic whirlpools which are formed because of oceanic currents the oceanic currents themselves depend on the winds the air currents that are created because of differential heating across the globe right. you know the equator is heated more so there is warm air warm air rises and cool air from the sides rushes in the winds therefore the wind system of the world is created and this wind system of the world influences the water it's just like you know you blowing hard on a glass of water you see ripples in the water in the same way these gigantic winds huge winds create water currents right. oceanic currents are created two currents which happen one is as you said the uh, lateral movement on the surface because of the winds mm-hmm. and also because of the heating level of the water exactly so all these are creating what they call these oceanic gyres so these start collecting whatever is there on the surface into small uh, islands of those objects yeah it is almost like a washing machine functioning Absolutely. you know when you turn the washing machine you throw the clothes anywhere you want but when it's washing you see all the clothes somehow get accumulated to the center right a kind of gigantic washing machine is happening in the oceans and these plastics and other objects are being gathered into the center and that was discovered as late as 1997 right it's a wonder you know with all our satellite technology how is it that they missed it it must be not visible from space right that is what if you see the photographs the actual photographs you know in order to draw attention of the people towards plastic garbage people you know set up and take images of water covered in plastic but if you see the actual patch if you take a photograph even from the ship you cannot see anything it just looks like a blue desert because the plastic does not actually float on top like a boat it is 90% submerged it's more like an iceberg so if you go really close to the surface of the water you can see but this plastic pervades on an average they say about 5 meters thickness in the water so you can imagine 5 meters is almost like a two story building right actually what happens is you know this plastic especially plastic which can degrade not biodegrade but can break up mm. it starts breaking up into very very small pieces that cannot be seen from a distance and what is actually this garbage patch most of it is something like a plastic soup you know okay. where the concentration of the plastic in ocean water is remarkably high oh we might all wonder why is so much discussion on this plastic patch because it is very pertinent to the subject that we are speaking about which is sealing on desires the problem with plastic is unlike other objects which are broken down by microbes. microorganisms in nature which are biodegradable say if we peel an orange and throw the orange peels within 15 20 days you'll see a mushy and a stinking kind of you can say goo that is accumulated that goes away and after 20 days or 30 days there's nothing it's completely broken down into its constituent elements right so that is the way nature has a cycle all the elements come together to form organic things such as the human body or the an orange or an apple or a tree and once it falls the microorganisms work on them break them down into the smallest constituents which is back to compounds and finally to elements and it returns back but that is not the case with plastic in order to explore why this is not the case with plastics we should go into a little history of how plastic production came to be the idea of plastics was from objects which were natural what you call long chain organic, organic compounds organic compounds that's where the idea was got from i mean even in the body if you see you have sugars then the sugars form carbohydrates and carbohydrates form starch so the endurance level of those long chain compounds are much more than when they are in the form of smaller molecules which are sugars and this was found in nature also and some of the you know natural polymers as they call it are like rubber right you know rubber was discovered long ago and it was found to be very useful it was elastic it was stretchable it was strong 
it was durable it was an interesting material and uh, with the vulcanization of rubber which is adding sulfur to rubber i think it was charles goodyear who discovered this fact that when sulfur is added to rubber it becomes so strong that it gains totally different properties it's like a difference between man and superman right rubber becomes super rubber vulcanized rubber and it can now be used in making automobile tires it can carry tons of weight on it without getting broken right. i mean even the pencil eraser is made of rubber and we have a car tire made of rubber but there is so much difference between the two rubbers right. so man discovered that even in many of these naturally occurring polymeric molecules if we introduce some kind of chemicals and some sort of substances they get strengthened and they get superman qualities supernatural <laughs> supernatural qualities exactly and that is how plastics came into being and when plastic came it was a miracle it was a marvel because here was something that did not rust like iron and other metals it was not as heavy as other metals like you know they made alloys in order to overcome rusting in metals but even these alloys were very heavy so here was a drum let's say that was one fourth the weight of a metal drum but which was much more durable than a metal drum right because it would not get rusted nothing would happen it's easy to shape and make different shapes and it is amazing in every sense in fact today in the automobile industry almost 80% of the car is made up of some sort of polymer or the other metal has been almost totally discarded and that's why you know that's the other hazard when accidents happen cars get mashed beyond recognition but well as plastic became useful and more and more useful its growth proliferated all around the world that's why the idea of the packaging the various substances also started you know because you could add layers and layers of plastic in the name of package and that was adding attractiveness to the things which you were selling it just went into one point after the other after and it that. proliferated i mean in the sense Why are we making tables out of wood? Let's make it out of plastic. Plastic tables. Why are we making cars out of metal? Let's make it out of plastic. 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 Almost everything that man made, he saw that if it can be made with plastic, it's going to be cheaper, easier, quicker to make, and you know you can get colors. So the amount of options that plastic gave, the choice that plastic gave, was so tremendous that it began to be used for everything. Everything today, if we look around, we can't live without plastic. that is a plastic proliferated because it was good and i think that's where the problem started because man started using plastic because you cannot break it down easily but now that itself became the nemesis of plastic because now the question is okay after you use the object how do i dispose it now everything even if you look at our console here the computers our cell phone our mic systems the wires everything has a lot of plastic in it but now once the usage of that object is over where do i dump it yes we dump it in landfills we throw it into drains which carry it to the rivers which take it to the ocean which has led to formation of garbage patches which measure 15 million square kilometers which is mind boggling see the amount of waste we have created and it's growing every year yes it's growing at an alarming rate every year and you know plastic has affected in ways that are beyond imagination For example you know we spoke of how plastic breaks down it doesn't decompose like an orange peel but it breaks into tiny 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 like micro tiny bits which are ingested by microorganisms which doesn't get digested and these are eaten by bigger organisms by bigger organisms so how does it affect it's all after all a little bit what happens is when a bird is eating a fish the fish would have eaten a lot of these tiny organisms which contain plastic the organism is digested but the plastic remains in the fish right in a greater quantity now now when the bird eats the fish the fish is digested but the plastic in the fish remains in the bird 
and in a year a bird will eat say about 100 fish so 100 times the concentration of plastic builds up in the bird and you know the shocking thing is albatrosses the most beautiful birds in the world with a huge wingspan they look like flying aircraft mm-hmm. amazing sight you know these birds are so huge with such a huge wingspan that like normal birds that we see they don't take off directly Okay. They run for about 8 to 9 meters. Mm-hmm. They need it like almost like an aircraft takeoff. They need that runway and then they pick off. Birds, albatrosses have died because of starvation. Why? Because they are unable to fly. Why? Because they are unable to take off. Why? Because they are being held down by the weight of plastic in their stomach. My god. That is one thing and they have found many skeletons and of the, albatrosses. And the thing is the bird is not eating plastic. Exactly. It's eating fish. <laughs> It's eating its natural food. And There have been many skeletons of these albatrosses found where the flesh has completely been degraded the bone is now starting to degenerate okay which means it must be at least about 20 30 year old but the plastics in the stomach are still looking pristine and clear it has not even started to break down the cause of the death is still there available to kill more birds mm-hmm. and as we spoke about you know a lot of chemicals are added into these plastics so what happens is though the plastic does not break down the enzymes in the stomachs of these organisms start leaching out the chemicals that are there in the plastic which have been added to make plastic durable okay these chemicals play havoc in the biological systems of the birds several species of birds because of leaching of chemicals mm-hmm. got affected in such a manner that the egg shells okay became brittle which means as the bird is laying the egg the egg is breaking cracking and when it cracks the child inside can no longer grow the population of that bird is getting wiped out all this is because of plastic poisoning i mean plastic pollution you just have to google it to see that it has become a real menace beyond our wildest imagination and there is a great need that's why these go green campaigns are starting there is a great need and it is not as if it is localized the oceans are everywhere and they have spread it doesn't matter if you say that in our country we don't use plastic because the world is using plastic you get affected the world has almost become like one single organism where any place is affected is going to affect the whole world that's happening in economies that's happening even in plastic i think that's what's happened with this patch because definitely this is not one country's contribution of plastic it's from all the continents and the oceans are just doing their job as they've been doing all these years they're just collecting waters from different areas and mixing it up you know that's what gives biodiversity to the oceans also so what it's doing is the developing countries and the developed countries may be using more plastic but the fishes which are in the shores of the african countries also will get affected because of this everybody gets affected and this brings into light one very 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 important point a point about what is good and what is bad plastic is something that is wonderful because it had so many properties it started off as something that is very good but today it is something that is poisonous it's harmful it is devastating something that is good has become bad over the passage of time which means you know there is nothing like an absolute good or an absolute bad something that is good can become bad something that is bad can become good but one thing we can safely say is that everything is in its limit and anything when it goes beyond a certain limit beyond the tipping point it becomes bad i think that is one thing that becomes very clear with the plastic example plastic within limits is good is helpful is necessary but beyond a certain limit it becomes bad so that gives us a new definition of good and bad extremes are bad limits are good it also gives the idea that even when you start something when you produce something or you discover invent something you have to be always conscious of the fact that how long is it good and the mm. ability to recall and detach yourself from that when you realize that it is 
lived out its goodness you know that's what we have failed to do with plastics i feel because this garbage patch it was predicted at least 30 years ago hmm. scientists who didn't see it actually predicted that this was going to happen in the ocean but you know the inability to roll back something which we have started i think has caused this and that is because uh, we've just been on auto mode you know hmm. something is given to us we use it and we just go on with that i think that's the whole problem it reminds one of that glorious character in mahabharata abhimanyu who said that i know how to get in and break this formation the army military formation but i have no idea how to get out yeah there's a formation of the chakravyuha ha huh, exactly it looks like all of mankind is almost like that we know how to get into new things but we just don't know how to get out of it when it becomes a problem that's why abhimanyu lost his life in the chakravyuha and it seems as if in all our problems we too are headed that way Very true. I'm reminded of one small experiment, if we can say so, that was done in an awareness class in the Satsa Institute of Higher Learning. You know, gulab jamun. It's a kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Every one of us love it. You know, it's wonderful to eat. And in the hostel, when they serve us during lunch time, they give us only one. And we often try to, you know, sneak and try to take a second gulab jamun, or it, because it is so tasty, and one is never enough to satisfy us. So in the class, the best eater, a big foodie. he is called for a demonstration and he is asked would you like to eat one gulab jamun or two he says wow two is better than one so he is given two gulab jamuns which he swallows and then you know this happened it was a live event all of us are seeing he says will you have one more he says wow yeah nice is one more he is he is a big foodie you know so he keeps eating and prem he ate almost 10 gulab jamuns okay <laughs> but when the 11th was offered to him he said oh no i think i think i'll stop because you know he feels too much is not good no it's one day just eat it he eats 11 12 you know one better or two better he chose two two better or four better he chose four four better or eight better he chose eight eight better or 16 better he's thinking now he says you know i think 16 may be a bit too much okay 16 better or 32 better now he has no doubts 16 is better i can't not 32 how How when gulab jamun is something that is good and something that you like you felt that more is always better how after a point you feel that it is bad how can 4 be better than 2 but 32 not be better than 16 hey come on he said that it is common sense don't you realize that beyond a point you can't eat it it becomes terrible after that in fact if i eat any more now i'll get nauseated when i see gulab jamun again that also highlights the same thing that we discussed when it comes to plastic that everything is good within a limit once it crosses a limit it becomes bad extremes are bad limits are good right and it's quite contrary to what we always want in life you know mm. we want limitless of everything and uh, we always say that you know let the person who's using choose the limits that's something which we always say trusting the discrimination of the trusting person the discrimination of the person but that's something which is definitely not worked out and i think we've learned it in many ways that it doesn't work in fact swami says that the human body is a limited company mm. he said there needs to be some limits in it and one of the most beautiful examples that swami gives is take the example of temperature mm. you know he says it has to be 98.4 if it goes less then you hospitalized if it goes more then you need medical treatment and the same thing with pressure to low bp you have to put on medication high bp you have to put on medication it's almost like you know there is that sacred golden middle path exactly prem anything regarding the human body you take for example uh, the sugar in the blood you know if you say that high sugar is bad you know it's diabetic it will lead to so many complications low sugar is equally bad right. you will fall unconscious you're not able to have energy so you cannot say that low is good or high is bad no 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 it has to be in a limit 
and as you beautifully said swami says that the human body is a limited company yeah, the other wonderful example which swami used to give in i'm just clicking that is mm-hmm. swami would say see when somebody takes a photograph mm-hmm. when the flash comes involuntarily you close your eyes mm-hmm. so we say see because even more light your eye cannot take less light also your eye struggles more light also your eye struggles same thing with sound right you're watching a tv program if it is little low volume it'll hey, increase it increase it because you feel that a higher volume is better than a lower volume but if it exceeds certain decibel point you say hey turn down the tv even though it might be your favorite program you tell them to turn it down because the sound level is irritating everything about the human body is limited company and that is the case in nature too you will never see in a forest the proliferation of one species at the cost of other there are checks and balances at every stage and even the ruler even the lions are not spared everything the number is kept under a certain control so that there's overall equilibrium you know even as you are talking about uh, sound and all that the only thing which is striking me is it's very obvious we cannot take loud sound but don't you realize that now as such people are going towards louder and louder at least music if not sound Mm. you know it just comes to the point that your body knows what the limits are you know the body has been made by god in the sense that it knows when it's not in order when we spoke about temperature and pressure but when you talk about something like sound and light it comes to the point of what the mind decides is the optimal hmm that is where this question of swami telling controlling the desires comes in because that comes in the realm of the mind it goes beyond the body level because when you gave that gulab jamun example the body knows when to retract it says hmm. no this is what i cannot take yeah the body will say stop at around 8 right. maybe before that point happened when the body retracted the mind actually thought that there was no limit exactly you know so that thing of controlling or regulating is actually in the mental level beautiful prem because as you say you know at 8 i think his body gave up it said enough eight jamuns are enough but the mind so, must have told that you won't get this opportunity again so exactly <laughs> so he was ready to go up to 16 but after that i think you know it hits it's just because the body refuses and starts you know giving adverse reactions that he stops but if the body had not reacted adversely if he had not got the vomiting sensation if he had not got that feeling of fullness i think the mind would have gone on it, there would I be no mind it's a very beautiful thing because initially you mentioned that it's like the whole world is an organism and if you apply this understanding which you've got to that see intellectually still people are thinking that yes we can go ahead now you know we can still progress because the earth will manage but it's coming to the point where the earth's body is beginning to tell that no it doesn't work that way exactly and i feel these garbage patches are nothing but nausea by the earth absolutely <laughs> just yeah. throwing up and you know recently in india i think it's worldwide also maybe there is a book that became a best seller called the shiva trilogy right it yes, is uh, written by a young i think engineer from india amish tripathi right. he wrote three books on shiva But it's amazing very contemporary style very contemporary style and he has interpreted beautifully for most part the vedas the shastras the ancient scriptures of india in a modern context it's a beautiful story riveting gripping but you know throughout the one message that comes out strongly after you read the 1500 or 2000 pages of all the three parts together is this that you know in the story there is something called the somaras mm-hmm. or the nectar of immortality which is supposed to give you long life and wonderful health and all the good things in life if you consume it you will not get affected by disease your eyesight will remain good when you first start reading the book you feel that this is the ultimate thing that anybody will want for you know in the harry potter movie series it's been shown as a philosopher's stone that will grant you eternal life right eternal life and eternal youth is something that people have longed for from long and therefore when you get it it seems to be the most perfect thing 
But when you reach the end of the third part, you know what the Lord Shiva does? Shiva's only goal in life is to destroy all the manufacturing plants which are doing Somras and destroy the knowledge of the Somras. <laughs> so you wonder how did this come about? And it is in the three books that he gradually develops this philosophy that there is nothing like good and bad in the universe. Something that is created starts off as good and that good is nourished and fostered and because it is good and it grows and grows and grows but there is a limit. When it crosses that line, the thing that was good starts becoming bad. But if you are so attached to that thing, if your attachment is to the object, you turn a blind eye to the fact that it's becoming bad and you continue to proliferate it till it grows to such an extent where you have no choice but to cut it down. Just like plastic has happened. We turn a blind eye, we think no problem and continue. But a point comes where your life will start getting endangered if you don't reduce plastic, you have to cut plastic. And that is what happens. And he says that is what God is all about. You know, he is the one who inspires something beautiful and that good he sustains but when it goes beyond limit, he destroys. And that is what Swami also says, God stands for G-O-D, which is generator, organizer and destroyer. I mean, that was such a profound thought, such a simple thought also. But again, it highlights the same truth that we are discussing that there's nothing like good and bad. Extremes are bad. In limits, it's good. In fact, that is the understanding which Buddha is supposed to have come before he attained the enlightenment. You know, he goes through that period of complete self-abnegation. He refuses food, refuses sleep and he grows into a skeletal figure mm. and that's when he says that what I'm doing, I've got it all wrong. You know, what is important is the middle path and it's something which each one of us can relate to. You know, just like how eating too much is going to upset your stomach and you know when your stomach is upset, you start behaving cranky. The same thing happens when you refuse to your body also. You know, that's what he found and each one of us can experiment it for ourselves. You know, when you don't have food, you think more of food than of God. If that is what is happening to you when you're doing Upavasa, then it's no point. Stop doing the Upavasa. Neither fasting is good nor feasting is good. Right. The middle path. I think Prem, you know, we have reached a very interesting point in our discussion. We will take it forward. But before that, maybe we'll take a small break. Sure. Dear listeners, we'll be back. We'll continue further on how the ceiling on desires is an integral part of our life, well-being and our progress in every manner after this break. So continue to be tuned in. We'll be back very soon. मंदिर है भगवान का पानी उसका भूमि उसी की सब कुछ उसी महान का नाए तेरा नाए मेरा नाए हम सब खेल खिलौने उसके खेल रहा सरताज रे खेल रहा सरताज रे 
उसकी ज्योति सब में दम के सब में उसका प्यार रे सब में उसका प्यार रे मन मंदिर में दर्शन कर ले उन प्राणों का प्राण का पानी उसका भूमि उसी की सब कुछ उसी महान का नाई तेरा नाई मेरा जाए मंदिर जाए अनगिन देव मनाए रे अनगिन देव मनाए रे दिन रूप में राम सामने देखे नयन फिराए रे देखे नयन फिराए रे मन की आंखें खुल जाए तो क्या करना हमें ज्ञान का पानी उसका भूमि उसी की सब कुछ उसी महान का नाए तेरा नाए मेरा मंदिर है भगवान का पानी उसका भूमि उसी की सब कुछ उसी महान का सब कुछ उसी महान का सब कुछ उसी महान का मतलब मैग्डलिसनर्स वी आर डिस्कसिंग अ टॉपिक ऑफ सीलिंग ऑन डिजायर्स बिकॉज़ वी हैव नॉट कम टू व्हाट स्वामी हैज टू से अबाउट सीलिंग ऑन डिजायर्स एंड दैट्स इंडीड द मोस्ट इंटरेस्टिंग पार्ट बट सो फार व्हाट वी हैव अंडरस्टूड इज दैट समथिंग व्हिच इज गुड एंड समथिंग व्हिच हैज बीन बेनिफिशियल ceases to be beneficial beyond a certain point and that is where the importance of the golden middle path comes out speaking of which prem it reminds me of an incident that took place when i was in my 11th standard studying in a school at that time i had this great desire to be you know physically get into form or you know get attention from swami mm-hmm. and i felt that the best way to achieve that would be to stay back for winter vacation simply because of statistics you know out of 500 people if 400 go home only 100 stays back swami's darshan remains the same so now swami's darshan is to be shared only by 100 people instead of 400 so there's a greater chance of you getting a chance to interact or speak with swami or something like that. and this was my conviction that if i stayed back for the vacation if i in quotes sacrificed my vacation for swami's sake swami would reward my sacrifice that was my feeling that was my conviction and it came true in a very interesting manner how it happened was i had carried my camera to the mandir like i always do and i was sitting with the students and swami called a group in for interview and it was such a huge group they might be about i think 45 to 50 men and about 60 women so the interview room would not suffice so swami gave them an interview in the bhajan hall all the doors of the bhajan hall and the windows were shut swami spoke to them About half an hour, 45 minutes later, the doors opened and the ladies exited from the ladies' side, gents from the gents' side. Swami walked into the interview room. At that point in time, one of the men comes walking up 
to the student's block. Of all the people, he comes to me straight and he says, Swami told me to tell you to take a group photograph mm-hmm. of our group. And he pointed towards the gent side where all the gents who had received the interview were now slowly gathering. So I said, what is a strange request? I felt that, you know, he must have asked Swami for a group photograph and Swami would have told, yeah, ask the students there. Because, you know, I felt there is no way Swami knows me. <laughs> He's no way Swami would have told there is one boy with a camera. His name is Arvind. I felt that he just took a random chance. He saw four of us sitting with a camera. He came to me. Now, that was not the digital age. So it was the film camera. Right. So which means after taking a picture, you have to get the film developed. Then you have to make prints. It's a tedious process. But anyway, I thought that if he says so, let me go and take a picture. So I told him, gather your group and form a proper group there. I will come take a photo and come back. So he went there and started arranging the group. When he was doing it, I got up from my place. I was already feeling a little special. You know, I thought, who knows? Swami might have actually told him. Mm -hmm. And why Swami would have told about me? Maybe because among the four of us sitting here, I'm the better photographer among us four. So, you know, that is why maybe Swami told me. And I was feeling good about it. I was walking towards this group. To my shock, imagine there's a hush and to my right, there is Swami who has walked out of the interview room. Mm -hmm. As he's walking, he's about five meters behind me. So immediately I sat down. Swami continued to walk. Swami went and stood with the group. That is when I realized what it was. You know, Swami was granting a group photograph. And wow, so I got up and I took a picture. I sat back in my place. And then Swami started to walk again. And this time he looked at me and he said, Are you a student? I said, Yes, Swami. Swami said, go, go sit on the lady's side. I thought Swami was joking, you know, why would he tell me to go to the lady's side? He said that and started walking. Now, I did not know what to do. So I got up and those were not the days when there would be people walking behind Swami. Mm-hmm. This was in 1998 and Swami used to walk alone. So now here was a student walking behind Swami and I was walking behind Swami because I had no idea what to do. Midway again, Swami stopped, turned to me and said, not with me, go and sit in lady's side. I was shocked. I was thinking, what is this? I thought Swami is still joking. But since Swami told it sternly, I just started walking. I didn't have the courage to go to the lady's side. So I went and stood near the interview room. That is the borderline between the ladies and the gent's side. And did not know what to do. Swami in the meanwhile passed across the students. And he was entering the lady's side of the Kulvant Hall. He looked at me. I was standing at the interview room door. He told me, lady's side. And he pointed to the lady's side. He said, oh, come over there. That was when it struck me that he was wanting to grant a group photograph to the ladies group as well. Mm-hmm. I was so dumb. I did not realize what was happening. So I rushed. Now a new problem came. What was it? Swami is standing. All the ladies are seated. And as Swami is posing for the picture, the group of ladies is so wide that they're not fitting in the lens. I need to go more back to take the image. But I can't go more back because there are ladies seated there also. The devotees who are seated there. I did not know what to do. And you know, Swami read my mind. These are small instances he shows of his, you know, omniscience. He just looked beyond me to the ladies and said, make a path. And just like the ocean parted for Moses to go through, just like the river parted for Nanda to carry Krishna on the basket on his head, the ladies immediately parted and made a path. And I went deep inside, at least 20, 30 lines inside. And from there, the whole group I was able to get. So I took a picture. And then I went to him, Swami said, get the pictures tomorrow. And I returned back to my seat and everybody was looking up at me, you know, telling, wow, this was a privilege that only, you know, they said that the photographers whom Swami considers as his own, only to them, he gives this privilege. And that's it. I was on cloud nine and unknown to me, my ego rose to superhuman heights. I felt like I'm a star. I need to get all the attention. 
and you know two teachers i remember from the school venkatesh varlu sir and satish babu sir they spent the money and made you know what they did they took one print of each photograph mm-hmm. counted the number of gents and number of ladies made that many copies and neatly tied it with a ribbon gave it to me and said give it to swami if swami asks how did you get it say that you didn't spend any money and then if swami asks where did the money come from you just tell everything is swami's only don't even mention our names that was their humility and i felt that swami made them say that to me in order for me to imbibe that humility but i was lost in my own world i said okay okay i took it and you know my arrogance prem i went and told one of my classmates that if you want to take padnamskar sit next to me why because swami is going to stop and talk to me when he's talking to me you can take padnamskar that was my ego you know so i was sitting there in the mandir absolutely sure that swami is going to come to me and inquire about the photos because he said that he would ask about it the next day he totally ignored me he was on my side of the carpet till he came to me the minute he reached or neared me he crossed the carpet went to the other side totally ignored me i tried two three other places everywhere i was ignored in the same way till that same classmate of mine comes back to me and asks what happened if i had sat next to you i don't think i would have even seen swami from close quarters and that hit me you know i felt so bad i went and sat in the veranda where later on the car used to be parked mm-hmm. that time the students used to be allowed to sit there i sat in one corner sitting and telling swami i have been so stupid i have been so egoistic i am such a fool you know i realized the truth i was feeling so bad about it swami comes out and starts talking to the warden as he speaking to the warden i am trying to show the photographs swami is not looking at it at all and then my heart says you know you felt so egoistic you felt so important about yourself and that is why you have been deflated so swami will not accept then i said yes and you know i started cursing myself i said arvind you are the most low kind of fellow you are the most idiotic fellow you are the most i scolded abused myself and in that self abuse i opened the cover and put the photos back into the cover the cover made a slight kind of sound crushing sound and swami turned to me and asked hey what is that I was now you know very meek in a full demeaning mode self condemning mode so I said Swami n- nothing Swami it is just some photos which photos Swami yesterday you told to take and then Swami's whole face lit up oh yesterday's photos why didn't you tell me why didn't you show me i have been waiting for this <laughs> and then i'm thinking oh what do i say swami says you come here so i gave him the photos he took the photos and started walking out this was a portico nobody could see from outside so he took the photos and started walking to the outer veranda and he turns back and says you also come here so i was thinking what do i have to do so i go there and, and now i'm standing with swami in the full public view of the whole hall and then swami stands and with his finger beckons to the leader of that group who from the gent side comes running he was a person who had told me that swami has told to take a photo and swami gives him photographs and says see this boy how perfectly he has done good photographer he is and then gives him and says what are these i tell swami that swami this is a group photos of the gents So as if it is not visible Swami tells him hey understood this is gents group photos and what is this Swami ladies group photos see these are ladies group photos and Swami gives it to him and then Swami blesses him and tells go he suddenly turns to Swami and says Swami can i have the negatives please now you know Swami was taken aback he didn't expect this so he just turned towards me and for some reason i had it in my pocket you know those two negatives of the two group photos okay. i had cut it and put it in a plastic cover and i had got it i said swami i have the negatives here again swami gave such a beautiful smile and said see boy is so intelligent he is ready with everything take your negatives and off you go and then swami turned gave me padnamskar and sent me back i felt 
when i got very egoistic you know swami brought me down that time i felt that you know this ego is so bad this kind of feeling good about yourself is bad and therefore i had gone to the other extreme which is self condemnation and when that happened swami again praised me and that is when i realized that you know you cannot say that praising is good or condemning is good praising is bad or condemning is bad anything in the extreme is bad and therefore i felt that when i went to the extreme on one side swami gave the opposite treatment when i went to the extreme on the other side swami gave this opposite treatment so again you know it reinforced in me that the middle path is the way to go extremes are bad limits are good you know swami used to uh, give this example in the earlier years in the 60s and 70s swami would say i am like the mother elephant which is teaching the baby elephant to walk and swami hmm. would say the baby elephant would be confined within the four legs of the mother elephant hmm. you know it has to walk under the mother elephant as the mother walks and practice and hmm. uh, swami would say that if the baby elephant takes to the left and tries to move out it'll get a kick from the left it tries to uh-huh. move out through the side it'll get a kick from the right wow yeah we have seen this happening <laughs> right and swami would say that's how i take care of my devotees i teach them to live in life now, that, don't go to any extremes <laughs> right that's the idea i got when i had this and you know this example even i think swami narrates as a chinna katha right of ramkrishna paramahamsa brahmananda and vivekananda right i think that incident where suddenly ramkrishna paramahamsa says i want to eat fish mm-hmm. and uh, from where they are staying they have to cross the river and go to the market and buy mm-hmm. so i think uh, uh, brahmananda is the first one who is sent and when he goes and typically i think as it is said no messiah is accepted in his land and as the adage goes nobody in that region actually had a lot of reverence for ramkrishna paramahamsa and they used to look at these people and demean them by saying that why are you wasting your time and your youth under a master who is a madcap mm. so that's what happens when he is going in that boat everybody in the boat starts you know pulling his leg and making fun of him so brahmananda is so hurt because he loves his master so much so he starts crying and nobody gives him fish also in the market so when he comes back uh, he's in tears and he's sad with what has happened so ramakrishna asks what happened why are you crying and where's the fish so he narrates the whole incident and then after that ramakrishna starts shouting at him and he says if you really have love for the master will you keep quiet if somebody is talking ill of him will you keep quiet if your mother is being spoken ill of and all that and hmm. and vivekananda is a witness to this whole scene hmm. and he's saying that you know what a fool this guy is spineless fellow if i had been there i would have taught him a fitting <laughs> lesson so immediately ramakrishna turns to vivekananda and says tomorrow you get for me some fish so this whole episode repeats and vivekananda is there in the boat of course he is not in vivekananda he is narain and there these people start talking hail of the master he is very wild and everybody is scared <laughs> and this time he gets back the fish he throws one person into the river yeah, actually throws one person off board and you know <laughs> and then again ramakrishna has what happened in the market today hmm. so when triumphantly vivekananda is narrating this whole incident ramakrishna says are you a monk are you a disciple of mine you know how can you talk how, how can, can you, you lose, lose your it? temper like this and you know gives him a good piece of advice And Vivekananda is so confounded. He says, "You know, yesterday you spoke like this, and today you are talking like this. You know, what is right? You know, do we react or should we be passive? What is the right thing?" Mm. And then Swami says, "Ramakrishna Paramahamsa tells Vivekananda and Brahmananda. He says, 'It is like the air in a tire. Mm. You know, in his tire it was less, so I had to pump. Mm. In yours it is too much, so I have to release some.'" Exactly. <laughs> and we observe it when we drive our vehicles on a day-to-day basis, Prem, you know. If there's too much air also, the shock absorbing capacity of the tire goes down and you feel every bump and jerk. If there's too less air, there's a chance of the tube of the tire getting punctured. So you need the optimum amount of air, again the middle path. Right. Too much is too bad of either way, you know, deprivation or having. That's where this idea of ceiling on desires comes. 
because mm. swami uh, i think it was the 10th conference of the organization that's why swami introduced this as one of the charters of the organization swami mm. said let's start this program called the ceiling on desires he never said giving up of desires right that's the interesting thing he didn't say give up all desires of course maybe swami would have lost a few thousand people <laughs> if swami had said that but swami interestingly said ceiling on desires and as i said the 10th meeting and also once i think the satsang we spoke about the nine points code of conduct which swami has given the organization nine point code of conduct yes right. the ninth point in that is ceiling on desires you know i'm reminded of an example of how people catch monkeys he says that a bottle has a bottleneck Right. So in a bottle they fill peanuts, groundnuts, whatever that the monkey likes, and they leave it out in the open. It's actually uh, buried in the ground. Ha. Huh. So that the pot as such is immovable. Correct. And then inside it are the peanuts and groundnuts that the monkey likes. The monkey puts its paw inside and it tries to grab as much of the food as it can. When it takes so many peanuts in its paw, the paw now becomes big that it can't come out of the neck of the bottle or the pot. and the monkey thinks that the pot has caught hold of it if only the monkey takes only one peanut or two peanuts paw will not be so big it can pull it out but the monkey never seems to learn and it always tries to grab as much as possible because of which it gets stuck and it feels that the pot is holding on to me not realizing that it is actually it that is holding on to the pot it's a very very graphic and interesting analogy which ami has given because one thing as you said the pot is not holding on to the monkey And the second thing is not even the desire is actually holding the monkey. It is only that excessive desire which is holding the monkey. Exactly. It it mm-hmm. wants groundnuts, no problem. Yes. But even if you, it takes one or two, it's not going to be held there. Correct. <laughs> you know, I think what happens with the monkey also happens with our monkey mind. The mind is not satisfied with limits. If you say be in limits, it's considered like a pessimistic statement. All the inspiring talks, so-called modern day talks, are all about. breaking all barriers going beyond all limits the sky is the limit if the sky is the limit what will happen to the planet you know because another example that swami gives is if you want a heap of sand you have to dig the ground and swami says when you have a heap of sand of say 1 foot high corresponding to it is a depression that is 1 foot deep because earth is not made from infinite resources so if there is an excess in one side remember there's a lack at some other point also so the greater the excess the greater is the lack the greater is the disparity the greater is the imbalance and therefore the greater the chances of some catastrophe or balancing act about to happen right in fact you know even if you look at what is described as the purusharthas mm-hmm. you know it is said that dharma artha kama moksha you can have a desire to earn but it is just that limit going back to swami's ceiling on desires program when he started it he gave it four dimensions he said not wasting money not wasting food not wasting energy and not wasting time, time. right so these are the four things and we look at it swami never discouraged people from earning money or accumulating wealth mm. but it was misuse of money which swami was referring to even in the ceiling of desires program you know one of the beautiful examples which swami gives is like you know the size of a shoe mm. which swami would say that if it is too big it's going to hurt the leg If it's too small again, it's going to hurt the leg. Yeah, if it's too small, it'll bite. If it's too big, it'll trip you. Right. So either way, it hurts you. But it has to be the correct size. What you said is very pertinent because you can't live without money. You can't live without time, food. That's why Swami says, don't waste food and time. Swami never says that food, energy, money, and time are evil. Misuse is bad. Again, comes to limit, and therefore, within the limit, there are needs. We need food. We need energy. We need time. We need money. but when they become desire i remember professor anil kumar while giving a talk he gave a beautiful example he said we need water yes we can't live without water 
But you know, now I want distilled water. Then I want bisleri water. I want aquafina water. Finally, I you know, there's some brand, I think it's called Avian or something like that, where it's atrociously costly. A liter of bottled water is 10 times the price of gasoline. Now, wanting that, that is a desire. Wanting water is a need. Of course, with this, you know, again, the professor beautifully elucidates. He says that you may think that I am trying to suggest that we have a low standard of living. Oh, why shouldn't I have pure bottled water? Why should I drink normal water? That is only for the low standard of living. But you know, scientifically, it has been proved that it is not so. For example, a case to point which has happened in Puttaparthi itself. In the Prashantinilayam hostel, a devotee in his eagerness to serve Swami wanted to set up a reverse osmosis water unit. Which means now that because of this reverse osmosis unit, every drop of water that they get is as good as bisleri or mineral water. Pure drinking water, which is a thrill, which is magnificent. Okay. So now the whole hostel has got used to it so much that, you know, one of the research scholars was telling me that once when this reverse osmosis unit had a breakdown. Mm -hmm. So for two days, they had to go back to their old method, which was normal filtered water, which is get the groundwater, filter it and drink it. In those two days, more than 100 students suffered from diarrhea, which had never been the case before. And if we see more and more of these, we realize that by drinking that ultra pure water, you know, you have lost your immunity. In fact, there was another study which said that those children who have grown up playing in mud and sand turn out to be healthier and better children than those who have never touched sand and mud in their life. (laughs) So you see, you can't say bacteria is bad, microorganism is bad. Yes, in an extreme, it's bad because it causes infection. But even that is needed in limits. And that is what Swami is saying that everything is needed in limits. And therefore, you know, the professor was saying that it is not the question of standard of living, but the question of quality in life. We have to improve the quality of life and not just standard of living. So therefore, he clearly differentiates between a need and a desire. And he says need is fine. Swami never says no to needs. Yes, your needs have to be fulfilled, but desires put a ceiling. One way of looking at it is your life can depend on needs. You know, you need air, you need water, you need food. So your existence or your living can depend on these things. But the whole problem comes when your life starts depending on desires. Mm. You know, that's where all the confusion comes and that's where all this excesses have happened. Exactly. This is in fact in the Bhagavad Gita, the second chapter in Sankhya Yoga, Shloka 62 and 63. Mm-hmm. Lord Krishna beautifully explains how desire is the root cause for everything. All the Arshad Vargas, you know, Swami describes six enemies of man. Kama, Krodha, Loba, Moha, Madhamatsaryam. Anger, greed, lust, desire, attachment. And Lord Krishna says how desire is the root cause for all of these. Mm-hmm. Let me just read out these two shlokas. You know, Lord Krishna says, Dhyayato vishayan pumsa sangaste shupajayate sangat sanjayate kamaha Kamat krodho bijayate, krodat bhavati sammoha, sammohat smriti vibramaha, smriti bramshat buddhinasho, buddhinashat pranashyati. Okay, I think the meaning goes like this. While contemplating the objects of the senses, a person develops attachment for them. And from such attachment, lust develops. And from lust, anger arises. From anger, complete delusion arises. And from delusion, bewilderment of memory. When memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost. And when intelligence is lost, one falls down into the material pool. Beautiful translation. As you said, you know, every 
problem in our life is exactly only thing i think in the translation they have translated buddhi as memory, memory. buddhi is more like discrimination right if we take a small example i see something and therefore i want it i see a phone i see a smartphone i want a smartphone because otherwise my phone is a dumb phone i want a smartphone and why did i get the desire to have the smartphone because i saw it i think we've been made to believe that you're smart only if you use a smartphone <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what we have been made to believe because really, that's what happens you're uncool if you're not using a latest phone right correct so you want it but then you know your parents say no you're not grown up you don't need a phone only forget a smartphone so this desire slowly starts growing into a lust kind of like i can't live life without that phone come on everybody has it i need it i need it i need it and then when it's continuously denied if it's satiated what happens is you go to a higher desire then you say okay the smartphone is fine but now i want a samsung i want an iphone maybe it goes higher at some point of course it can't be fulfilled because you can't fulfill all the desires that's what gandhi ji said the world has enough for all men's needs but not even for one man's greed <laughs> and therefore you're not able to fulfill that that leads to anger and with anger you lose your ability to think rationally you lose discrimination and when you lose discrimination you act and speak and think in a manner that is inhuman that is animalistic that is not good and that is when you are on the path of total ruin that's what krishna says so the root cause is desire and that's why you know instead of battling everything else swami always goes to the root cause he says therefore have a ceiling on desires and when swami spoke about the ceiling on desires program swami introduced another dimension to it hmm. which later you know led to a little bit of confusion which swami had to come and sort out hmm. but what swami said was see now i want you to have ceiling on desires so you're going to reduce your expenses hmm. so you will have money so swami said why not use that money for more noble causes exactly you know, why okay. don't you save that money and use it for charity that's what swami was saying there is a very beautiful subtler aspect to this what swami said it was not just that since money is there you can do it for charity you know a western psychologist did this small study in his class of students you know one day he said i'm not going to take class for you you're free and he gave them all uh, money and he said you can go to the nearest starbucks and have your meal there you know that's what he told them and he said come back and make a mental note of how you enjoyed your afternoon they didn't realize that it was part of his experiment so he said you just go and have your fun so after a few months He said that today we're going to have again a free hour, and he said all of you can go to a nearby spastic society kind of a thing, you know, where you have specially uh, able children. He said go and spend an afternoon with them, hmm. you know, read for them, play with them. So the class was dispatched, and they had to go there and spend the afternoon. And something like six months later, he said, "Do you remember the two days when I let you off free?" He said, "Which of those two days you remember?" Hmm. And then they realized that though they had as much fun in the Starbucks as they had. in that orphanage or in that uh, special school they remembered the joy which they got from spending that afternoon with the special children mm wow actually he proved to them that both are desires desires for happiness but the happiness which comes out of certain events seem to have the ability to last longer mm so in fact that is what somi was trying to do here he was saying reduce the desires which are actually that short lived happiness giving desire types and invest what you get from them the resources in those happinesses and desires which can actually give you long lasting peace and joy yes and it's not only about money money is one aspect you know this time i can say that ever since i have got a smartphone the time i have spent on phone is definitely double or triple than the amount that i used to spend before on the phone which means 
it has consumed so much of time the desire for the smartphone has consumed so much of my time that much time i can save i can use that time in something useful i can teach a child mathematics so it's not only about money it's about time it's about energy it's about food in fact narayan seva we heard that swami himself said that narayan seva doesn't mean buying extra food and giving it to the poor narayan seva means when i am eating i keep aside some of my food and swami in fact says treat that as bhiksha or you know arms to swami himself so instead of eating three bread pieces which is my normal capacity i sacrifice one bread piece and eat only two and that bread piece i mean symbolically that much i accumulate every day over a period of time it accumulates into a decent amount which i cook and offer to the needy people as food which means that food is born out of my sacrifice it is not as if just because i earn extra i use extra money and throw it at them i have sacrificed it as inculcated in me is a spirit of sacrifice put limits and therefore you know so ceiling on desires is all about this but as you said there was a period in time when it was misinterpreted right you know because it was during that 1980s time when swami started this program mm. and some people thought that the 60th birthday was coming 1985 and the organization wanted to do something large mm. and swami had actually struck upon a plan of getting the coffers of the organization filled i'm not telling that people actually uh, felt like this but they felt this was a good opportunity to contribute to the organization mm. and that is why swami had started this program and i think sometime a year or so later after swami declared this as a charter in the organization some devotees came back with a lot of money saying that swami this has come out of our ceiling on desires we have cut on our desires right. and saved his money and it seems swami was so wild with that because he said see you've done it but you've done it with the wrong motive mm. swami said i have asked you to practice ceiling on desires not because i want that money or not because the organization needs it or not because the poor need it because it's a good practice for you hmm you're doing this seva not to benefit others but to benefit yourself right beautiful i mean that was one wrong interpretation that came that maybe you know we can save this money and donate it to the organization that's noble thought definitely but that was not the intention with which swami started the ceiling on desires program in fact in a talk in abbotsbury madras when swami was speaking to i think some industrial workers he made this very clear he said no ceiling on desires is not for collecting money so you can give others ceiling on desires is to improve your own way of life because you know in another 50th birthday discourse swami clearly says who is the richest man on earth he who has much contentment is the richest man on earth who is the poorest man in the world he who has much desires is the poorest man so swami started the ceiling on desires program in order to enrich us not in the way we thought but in the way of curtailing our desires and increasing our contentment because you know swami showed he said this was what you used to consume now you consume less put a ceiling on it you find yourself happier how is it that you are happier though you are consuming less you are happier because your contentment has grown and if with what you have saved you are able to do some noble activity that is a good by product that's all that is not the intention you are not saving in order to do some activity you are saving in order to have your own progress your own growth increase in your contentment peace and happiness the things that we started for in the beginning and that is where it is going wrong where people say that consuming is the way to get peace and happiness and contentment no having a ceiling on desires is the way to get peace and contentment precisely you know even we speak about the organization or charitable work benefiting out of ceiling on desires in fact we started with the environment benefiting out of ceiling on desires but coming to it even that is also going to be a by product of this we adapting ceiling on desires because you know essentially speaking what swami was teaching us was going back to that gulab jamun example we always thought that the joy was coming out of that object or of we getting that object 
it was only that swami was trying to prove that the happiness is already inside and events actually let you connect to that happiness within in fact if you get your one gulab jamun if there is a boy who has been deprived of it you just try go and give that gulab jamun to him and make him happy you will see your heart will warm up with such warmth which you never got by just you yourself eating gulab jamun sacrifice doesn't mean you lose something you get so much more added on to you and that is what ceiling on desires is all about i think prem we should play that small discourse clip where swami emphatically refutes and says that this is not the purpose of ceiling on desires that is to save up money and whatever resources and donate it for a cause it is not as if you are alleviating suffering or alleviating poverty through ceiling on desires ceiling on desires is for you to grow in every sense holistically as a complete person with contentment and joy this was of course not that discourse which you referred to in abbotsbury ha huh. this was a little later i think 85 danase to sai ee yokka samasthana ne prarambhinchaledu sai has not launched this organization for the sake of money ni yokka ఆతను అరికట్టుకొని వైరాగ్య మార్గమునందు దివ్యానందమును అనుభవించమని నా యొక్క ఆశ ఇట్ హాస్ బీన్ మై హోప్ దట్ యుల్ కర్వ్ యువర్ డిజైర్ డెవలప్ ది సెన్స్ ఆఫ్ డిటాచ్మెంట్ అండ్ దే బై ఎక్స్పీరియన్స్ అంటోల్డ్ బ్లెస్ అతి పవిత్రమైన భావమును అర్థము చేసుకొనక కేవలము సీలింగ్ ఆన్ డిజైర్స్ లోపల ధనమును మాత్రమే సమస్తకు అర్పితం గావించుకోవటం ఇది ప్రధాన లక్ష్యంగా మీరు భావిస్తూ వచ్చారు సో యు హావ్ లాస్ట్ సైట్ ఆఫ్ దిస్ సేక్రెడ్ హోప్ ఆఫ్ మైండ్ and you have given yourself away to feeling that if you save enough money it's more than enough under the ceiling on desires idu sariyane kuntu margam kaadu this is not the correct way of interpreting this ee naadu bharata deshamalo ceiling on desires ane kuntu roopamlo desires nu maatramu anaga aasalu maatramu arikattukonaka kevalam dabbulu maatrame probu chesi satsai trust peru lopala 60 lakhalu kattaru today in this country of bharat misguided by this idea that this is what the ceiling on desires means people have saved up money and in the name of the satsai central trust have accumulated 60 lakhs of rupees nenu dhanam nasinchetundi okka pichu paavunalo ledu i never have this dirty feeling of trying to go for wealth ee naade kaadu ee naadu kudanu nenu evvarini inta varaku kudanu nenu dhanam kavalani aasinchinatundi chanam kudanu ledu not only today but also in the past never has there been a moment or a second when i have craved pavitramaintanti karmale aa dhanamulaku saginatanti karyamulu jaruputhu vastunnai when i have craved a long for money all these noble intentions behind every action of mine each of them themselves would generate the money necessary kaluka naaku ivavalsinatantidi naaku pavitramaintanti prematattam tappa ee dhanam naaku akkaraledu so what you have to give me today is this sacred concept of love not this filthy money So that was a discourse which was delivered in uh, 1985 21st november a very beautiful swami is saying don't give me the money that comes out of ceiling on desires give me the sacrifice which comes out of ceiling on desires the love hmm. love and sacrifice that's what will make me happy it's really a very poignant thought for all of us to enshrine in our hearts we can go on and on about it but basically ceiling on desires it comes from the truth that joy comes not by fulfilling all your desires because there's no end to desires but joy comes by having contentment and the objective behind ceiling on desires is to make every person in the world the richest and the wealthiest because as swami says the richest man in the world is he who has maximum contentment and as one famous quote 
goes it is said that the joy that one gets by annihilating one desire is hmm. much much more than satisfying 100 desires exactly even another wise man had said non seeking is divinity i mean you don't seek maybe we can just conclude this with one more subtle point one beautiful point again which was made by professor anil kumar based on swami's teachings mm-hmm. he said all this is fine but what about my desire for god should that not keep increasing beyond limit so do you mean to say that i need to have a limit there also ceiling on desire for god mm-hmm. for that <laughs> interesting question right professor anil kumar based on swami's teachings and swami's discourse he gave a beautiful and succinct answer he said you desire for something that you don't have you don't say that i desire for my head why you already have the head if you say like that somebody will think you are headless <laughs> so you desire for only something that you don't have or something that you have lost so when you say i desire for god it either means you don't have god or you have lost god and he says it cannot be possible that you don't have god because swami himself has said that you know i anoraniyan mahato mahiyan i pervade the smallest of the small to the biggest of the big i'm present in everything also swami tells in the discourse ni jantane ni kantane ni antane i am above you below you around you everywhere in you so how can god not be with you so how can you desire for god no therefore you have just lost god and that's why you are desiring you have lost god in the sense you have lost the connection you have forgotten the truth and therefore that anomaly is coming up as a desire for god otherwise desiring for god is something that is impossible you can't desire for god because god is always with you and so i think with that it comes to a nice conclusion that we cannot conveniently say that therefore desiring for god is not good or <laughs> it is not about desiring because god is always with us he is always guiding us it really fills my heart with such a kind of solace and joy can feel swami sitting here on the chair i'm sure he's smiling at what we are speaking i'm sure he is happy he is content and his blessings are on on us are also the same that we to be happy and that we can be by being content and the way to be content is via the ceiling on desires program dear listeners any thoughts that you have on the ceiling on desires and anything that you wish to share we are as always welcome and open to it we would love to learn we would love to be part of your thought process too because that is what makes this a satsang a sang that is a group where noble thoughts come in from all sides sahana bhavatu sahana bhunaktu with that we offer a most humble gratitude at bhagwan's lotus feet and bring this afternoon satsang segment to a close Sai Ram you just heard an episode of a radio series afternoon satsang this is a live discussion between radio sai's prem and arvind on different spiritual topics you can mail us your comments and feedback to listener@radiosai.org thank you and sai ram from prashanthi nilayam <laughs>